0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Hey, today we're going to do a a start of a short two-week refresher course on why we even do what we do. Uh, We're going to talk uh, today and next week on restoring the joy of the journey. uh, And we're just going to cover two very important areas of our journey with God that sometimes get really mundane and boring and tired or predictable or a challenge for us to maintain uh, because other things cloud in. And uh, I'm going to let you know what next week is. Next week, uh, today, we're going to talk about restoring what God's idea of church is about. And, uh, And I thought since we're talking about restoring, I thought we'd, you know, anybody here like seeing before and after pictures of stuff? I thought I'd show some before and after pictures of some cars that were restored. So take a look at some of these. These are pretty awesome. Um, those are pretty cool, sweet-looking cars. Anybody here like like messing with cars? I know Byron does. Anybody else? How many of you just like cars? How many of you know the cars that your friends drive? Okay, you're those kind of people. My, I, I, I don't even, I don't even, uh, some of you I've known for years, and I still don't know what car you drive. You drive it. I do know that because I've been in your truck. There's some people I'll get like, is this new? Like, no, I've had it for years. But say, my sister, on the other hand, she's like a real car person. She knows everybody, their name and their car. So uh, here's some other, here's some more restoration. These are pretty cool. The ones up on top have kind of cool. This one on the bottom is amazing. This old kind of station wagon wood trim thing looking all like sharp and cool. Look at this next one here. Uh, This is kind of sweet. I mean, this, totally junked out, basically taking this car that used to have some life and energy. It just got run down, worn down, forgotten, neglected until someone who cared enough to get it back and restore it, brought it back to its early glory. Here's another one. Uh, This one's pretty sweet. It's hard to tell in this color, but that is the same car. That's an actual photograph down here. And uh, this is pretty neat. This next one is my favorite one. This one's for Byron. Uh, this killer. This sweet Mustang. He's got a Mustang shirt on today. And I thought, man, this is this slide is for you. Uh, this slide is for you. I love the blue tint on, on everything. It's just, this is the actual exact. These aren't just like what it could be. That is the exact car before and after. Now, I want to be honest with you. Sometimes... If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, church gets old, gets run down, gets neglected, gets kind of just tore up and forgotten. And uh, sometimes we just throw it out to pasture and we just kind of, some people, they even just give up on church because it it just doesn't look, doesn't have that energy, that life that you thought it was supposed to have or used to have. And so what we want to do today is we want to rediscover the joy and the challenges that God has given us and restore that sense of purpose as we kind of take a joyride of how exciting church can be again. So I think that was the last one, right? I want you to take a look at this statistic here. This is the percentage of people who attend church on a given weekend. Now, I want you to notice that uh, the South obviously has more church attenders, Alabama has the highest rate of church attendance at 30% of their population almost going to church on any given Sunday. Texas has 20%, 19%. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. So out of 10 people this morning, out of 10 people in the Metroplex in Dallas, two out of every 10 attend a church or think about or have a church they go to. This doesn't mean these are people that go, All the time because actually the number of people that go every time. Look at this next graph. Church attendance, however, is tanking. We're going to find that of that 19% that go to church, the numbers in that range are going. So, for example, almost just above 52, maybe 54% of those that go to church are actually going to church on Sunday morning. So half of that 19%, which means... About 10%, one out of 10 people are actually in church in the metroplex today. Now, that's a pretty good stat compared to the rest of the U.S. because there are certain parts of the country where it's less than that, where it's 0.01, where it's 0.5% in Texas. So that means there's a lot of people that aren't just going to church but maybe don't even have a desire, don't even know uh, why it's important and, and just maybe have lost faith in That organization called the church. In fact, some people are. There's a growing number of people called the nuns. For instance, uh, there's a. I don't have the stats, but statistically, the number of atheists has pretty much stayed the same, with a little, with a little rise in the number of atheists and agnostics. But what has skyrocketed is what's known as the nons. They're the people that basically say, you know what? I'm not sure what I believe. Everybody could be right. Everybody could be wrong. It's just not that important. They're known as the nons. And that number has doubled almost every year in the last three, dec- uh, the last three years. So over the last decade, we have had a, a monster jump of what are called nons, people that just don't care. They just don't even factor God into their thought life. That's called a secularization of a society, and it is growing big. In fact, it's invaded the church. That's why we have less than half of the people that say they go to church actually showing up in church. I want to tell you this. We've got empty seats here today because we've got a lot of people not here today. Now, some are out of town. That happens. Some are on vacation. That happens. Some are sick. That happens. What I talk about today doesn't have anything to do with those that are sick or out of town on vacation or have, uh, you know, a rare or occasional uh, reason. What I want to talk about today is if we actually had every person that says Living Way is our church in my church, we would not have hardly any seats in this room available. Obviously, we do. You know, and every Sunday afternoon, my wife and I, we do the tally. We do the mental tally. Who was here? Who wasn't here? We kind of run through the list mentally and we try to kind of formulate in our mind who, we, okay, they're, they're doing this. Okay, they're doing that. Well, we haven't seen them in a few weeks. So we start strategizing how on a reeling him in and, and doing kind of the pastoral shepherding, fishing kind of retriever type stuff. And, and what I want to do today is I want to hopefully spark a sense of purpose in your life. How uh, maybe you've been in church a while. Maybe it's not exciting anymore. Maybe it seems stressful, tiresome, a duty or an obligation. I want to to find that this is a restoration of time and joy in your life today. I want to talk about restoring the joy of God in your church Life different schools of thought on church. Some say it's stuffy institution. It's trivial. Some say it's biased Some say it's all tradition. Some say it's too political. Some say it's just a dating scene. Some say it's a place to meet our own needs. Some would say uh, that church is not that important or it's not that vital. Some say it's optional. Some say you can be a Christian and not really have to go. Some say I get it online. So I'm fine Ooh, that rhyme. Remember that. down. Yeah. It's kind of sweet. I didn't know I was a rapper, and some say, well, I just need me, you know, a cup of coffee in my back patio, and I've got church, uh, nature, and the Bible, a round of golf is, is, I can get more out of a round of golf, someone might say, than what the preacher might teach me, uh, besides, some might say it's just corrupt anyways, so I have a question for you, really, really, because this is kind of the overall picture Less than 20 percent of Americans attend service. Those that go 74 percent don't even engage. Nine percent of the church funds the church ministry. For instance, out of our church, about if we have 150 people in this room, then that means one point you know, uh, that means like about 10 to 15 of you actually are taking care of the needs of this church. Uh, there's a staggering 80 percent of high school students, when they graduate, drop out of church altogether. They just don't see it important. They just don't see it relevant. It's not part of their system. It's not part of their life. So they just drop out. So God has something better in mind. That's what I want to talk about. The pastor who is Pastor Jesus is a master restorationist. You know, those guys on TV that take those junkers and they go through and they restore it. That's Jesus with the church. He is a mask. He's rolling up his sleeves. He's getting greasy. He's getting dirty. The pastor Jesus is here. Let's define this thing called church, the Jesus model of church. So let's talk about what is church. And it starts with, by the way, knowing that Jesus is passionately in love with you. So if you're here today and and you're not a, a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not a follower of Christ. I want you to just sit back and know how important you are to us. And a large part of why we are here is because of you, because we love you. And we want you to know that, that if you ever make that decision to cross the line and become a follower of Christ, I want you to know how important your role in a local church is and God's view of the church. I want you to know that Jesus passionately loves you. If you are a follower of Christ, he loves you. He didn't just come to earth to show us a better way. He came to earth to die for our sins so that we might have life again and connect with the purpose of God on this planet so that the kingdom of God might be seen and experienced on earth as it is in heaven. That is what Jesus has called us to be. He loves you and he hasn't left us and abandoned us. He's still with us and he's given us the spirit to empower us. And with that love, he is given a dynamic mission called church. Now, church is my this is my definition of church. This is followers of Christ who purposely and regularly meet to grow in Christ together and to extend Christ together. Now that's the definition that I came up with based upon what I feel like all the New Testament is speaking about church. It's purposeful, it's regular. And it has two purposes, to grow in Christ and to extend Christ. That is the mission, the goal of why we even are here right now. It's not a program. It's not an event. It's not a band. It's not a speaker. It's not a clown and pony show. It's not the numbers. It's not about Christmas and Easter. It's it's more than that. The church is the beacon of life and hope on the planet, and you get to be a part of it. In fact, The word in the New Testament for church is called ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. Ekklesia is the word for church. So whenever you see church in the New Testament, the word is ekklesia in the original language. Now, let me tell you what ekklesia means. Ekklesia is a Greek word that means to gather together. It means to assemble. It is a gathering of impactful citizens. Here's where the idea of church came from. First of all, anything that's good is from the Lord. So uh, I want you to know that this idea of church, long before Jesus instituted the spiritual church, is something that God had in his mission. But several hundred years before Jesus Christ, there was a city called Athens. And in Athens, there was a, a group of people that were made up of people that served in the military and those that owned a local business in the community. The reason military, because it showed citizenship and commitment and business leaders, because it showed an investment into the community. And what they would do, this group of citizens and business leaders would meet once a week to strategize on how to make their community better. That group, hundreds of years before Christ, was called ecclesia. And what Jesus did is he took a common idea that was at the time and he gave it a new purpose of a spiritual. He says, you've heard of Ecclesia? Well, there's going to be a new kind of Ecclesia. The idea is now it's a spiritual Ecclesia, a new kind of gathering, a new kind of assembly. We're not just meeting under the how can we be better people and better citizens. It's how can we make a difference in the world For the kingdom of God. This is Ecclesia. In fact, Ecclesia means to get together, to gather together. It means to assemble. Let's look at it. It's basically shakers and shapers who make a difference. Let's take a look at the first time it's ever used in the New Testament. And it was by Jesus himself in Matthew 16. This is what Jesus said. He said, uh, he's talking to his disciples and he says, there's a lot of talk about who I am. And this is what he says. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, well, you're the Messiah. That's the Christ. You are the one prophesied in the Old Testament. You are the one we've been waiting for our whole life. That's the Messiah. And you are son of the living God. Son means in the flesh of the living God. You are God in the flesh, the one we have been waiting for, the only answer to the hopes of this world. You are the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised anointed one, God in the flesh. Jesus said, because... Uh, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father. He said this. Well, you just said that's a God thing. You don't just wake up and decide this is what I am. This is a God revealed thing. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. That means you're a stone. And on this rock or this boulder of what you just said, that I am the Messiah, God in the flesh, on that truth, he says, on that rock, I will Not a person, not a pastor, not a personality. Jesus says, I will build my church. He says, who's in it? He says, it's not about you. It's not about, you know, it's not about me, Ted Blair. He says, Jesus birthed it. Jesus empowers it. He gives life to it and he gave his life for it. And he says, don't you dare make it about you. Because this is my church. He says, I will build my ecclesia First use of it in the New Testament. New assembly of impactful citizens who meet together to impact the uh, the community for my name's sake. He says, this new group of shakers and shapers, he says, in the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Hell itself can't stop what I am going to do. That's the first place it's mentioned. He said, Peter, you're a stone. You're a piece of Ecclesia. Ecclesia will build be built on that unmovable boulder of who I am. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one the world has been waiting for, God in the flesh. And today, true believers around the world gather under that truth and under that foundation. And if they don't gather under that truth and foundation, the Bible says they're not built on the foundation of the ecclesia that Jesus is talking about. So after Jesus was resurrected, many of you guys know the story. He, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. And he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave to show that it was absolutely true and what he said was true and that his death did pay sufficiently for our sins, and he rose again, and then he met with his disciples, and he says, I'm going to empower you with a gift called the Holy Spirit, and this power is going to cause the spreading of this good news of who I am to the world. And the book of Acts is that story. It's how the church began and how it was empowered, how it was generous, how it was loving, how it was an intentional, minishal, uh, missional gathering of followers of Christ to meet, to grow in Jesus together, and to tell the world of Jesus together. It was a slice of the kingdom on earth. That's the church. Now, the Bible has these different words for church. Now, I want to, the Bible gives a picture. I've got this puzzle here, and uh, I don't know if you can tell, but it's a, it's, it's a vibrant, full, like real bright picture of uh, of of leaves fall leaves and what i'm going to do is i'm going to pass it out i'm going to start right over here with tiny and i want everybody in this room to take a piece from the puzzle okay try not to spill them because everyone's important now i want you to realize this is it on the front of this puzzle if you've ever bought a puzzle uh, some of you guys have heard me do this illustration again i really felt like it was important to drive it home today with this again is that on the front of this box is a picture of what we're going for, right? I mean, have you ever tried to put a puzzle together without the picture? It is possible. uh, It takes a little bit of time, but uh, you may not get the picture that you're planning on, especially if all the shapes and sizes of the pieces are the same. So you have the box to guide you. Let me tell you something. The Word of God is the box cover to the church of God. If we want to know what the church is to look like, we just look at the box cover, God's word, because God's word will always be reminding us of what we should be looking like and what we're going for and the goal that we are to have concerning the church. And if we're going to rest, uh, restore, if there's going to be a restoration of your view of church, then then you need to start with a box cover You need to see what the picture was supposed to look like. And you start with the New Testament. The book of Acts is that picture. Now, in the Bible, there are different names for the church in the Bible. These are some of the names for the church. The Bible calls the church the city on a hill. That's the mountain of God or a beacon of hope on the earth. On the earth, the church is like a place that when you look across the landscape of the world's depravity and pain and suffering, you see... On the mountaintop, a bright light to guide you to hope. That's the church, the city on a hill. Matthew 5 says that Jesus tells his disciples that you'll be a city on a hill. In Revelation 21, it refers to the church as that city. Another word for the, the church in the Bible is the word called Zion. Uh, this was way before the Matrix. A matrix did not come up with Zion. It's actually right out of the Bible. Zion was the name for the city of Jerusalem. And in the New Testament... It is the name for the city of God on earth. And, and in the New Testament, John chapter 5 and Hebrews 12, the church is called Zion, a place of hope. Another word for the church is called the household of God. That's God's family on earth. The Ephesians and 1 Timothy and Galatians 6, they all say, man, you're now, when you become a follower of Christ, you're part of the household of God. And then he goes on to the next one. I love this one, 1 Timothy 3. He says that the church is the pillar of And foundation of truth. That means the church is the keeper and the one who holds up God's truth on the earth. And then another word for church is called the body of Christ. That means we are the hands and feet of Jesus who is the head. And then another great word in the Bible for church is bride of Christ. The bride of Jesus. And that means we are the Jesus beloved on the earth. And we are the one who Christ loves, and is completely, intimately connected to on the earth. Man, the church has so many beautiful names in the New Testament. Ephesians 1.22 says, And God placed all things under his feet, that's Jesus, and appointed him to be head, that's pastor, over everything, and if you have a Bible, circle this, for the church. That's pastor Jesus. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, Jesus came to build the church. He died so that you could become the church. He purchased the church With his shed blood on the cross. And the church belongs to Jesus. It was commissioned by Jesus. It was ordained by Jesus. It was empowered by Jesus. The pastor of the church is Jesus. The church is called his greatest love. And he is coming back for the church. The ecclesia. Now I'm head over heels in love with Jesus bride. And that's a big reason why I'm a pastor. And that's a big reason why I'm always challenging people to plug into a church, whether it's ours or someplace else. Get your feet rooted. Be a biblical Christian because Jesus gave his life and is coming back for the church. And we need to get is grafted. Man, I love what Jesus loves. To love what he loves, though it's lost, though that bride has lost a lot of beauty contests. I still love that bride. And that's because it's you. You are the church. To have issues with the church is to have issues with Jesus. I often tell people this, that if you want to be my friend, but you tell me that you hate my wife, there's a good chance we'll never be close. If you say, Ted, I love you, but man, I can't stay in your kids. I'm going to say, you know what? We're done, brother. Because with me comes my family. With me comes my wife. I love my wife. I love my kids. If you have a problem with my wife and kids, we will never be close. But yet people say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Well, then you'll never, you'll never be close to Jesus without a love for his bride and his family. Trash talking the church. I tell you, Jesus is passionate about the church, and so should we. Ecclesia is not a structure, but a culture of people committed to life together and giving life to those around them. It is life. I want to give you some excuses why we say no to Ecclesia. A few excuses. These are called e- Ecclesia excuses. The excuses we make. Uh, check out this picture. Sunday decline slide. Check this. this is the reason kind of folks have, uh, they don't come to church sometimes. Of course, the cutouts, those are the blank bodies of the empty seats. Look at some of these. There, there's no one else my age. Uh, fed up with church politics. Trying that new atheist church. The kids are playing football. Children won't keep quiet. People stare. Sitting in the coffee shop, reading the paper. Uh, the Thursday night home group is my church. No one here talks to me if i and in trouble. If I don't build that wardrobe, I got to look better. I got to look nicer. These, you know, whatever the excuse is, it's time to get rid of it and restore the joy of that journey called the church. So I want to hit a few of these big ones. Here's the first big one that a lot of people give: is that I don't think ecclesia. Uh, I don't think I need ecclesia. I don't think I need the church. I think I can do it on my own. I can't tell you how many people think that they can be the church by themselves. When the word ecclesia itself means to assemble together. It means to gather together. Jesus said, I'm going to build a new gathering of people that will make an impact that the world has never seen. Well, hey, you know what? I can be the church and have coffee by myself on my back patio or a little walk in the woods. That's not church. That's a personal journey with God, and that's important. But that's not church. That's not Ecclesia. Do you need Ecclesia? Yes. You can't be Ecclesia by yourself. It's not watching online ministry services. It's not reading a book. It's not a walk. Ecclesia is people being together and connected Together, everybody say together. That's basically ecclesia in definition. In fact, try this one verse alone and see how well it works out for you. It says this in Romans twelve ten. It says, "Be devoted to one another, honor." One another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fever. serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, which you do with one another. Uh, Bless those who persecute you, which you do with another. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone for evil. uh, For evil. Uh, Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are called to be together. You can't honestly pursue the fullness of God in your life solo. You just can't be a Lone Ranger believer. Can a Christian survive apart from a church? That's the question. Well, the, the problem with that question is the motive behind that question. Because usually the motive behind that question is a reason to not go to church. Of course, the answer is yes, you can survive, but we were not meant to survive. We were called to thrive. You will be not as healthy as you should and could. Some have no choice, some that are in a hospital. Well, that's why we have been called to go to the hospitals as, as believers and bring church to those that are in the hospital or in prison or isolated. And if there is, I know of a friend who's in an area, maybe out in Montana, where it doesn't have any church, and his answer was, well, to start a Bible study, to start a church. Once you are born again, ecclesia. When you become a Christian, you're called to be in fellowship with God and fellowship with other Christians. It's just that basic You've been called into relationship with other believers. The New Testament never ever even assumes or gives the open possibility of a Christian that's not connected to a church. The New Testament assumes every believer participates and is to participate, not attend, not fill a seat, not listen to a message, but participate to serve, to actually be connected with other people in relationship It is expected. All believers are in the invisible body, but we are called to be a part of the visible body, which is the church, the local body. The New Testament gives examples over and over. In fact, all of the New Testament examples of church are those that are connected together. Even when it mentions the universal church is in relation to your role in a local church. It's unbiblical and illogical for you to think that you can be a part of the worldwide church yet refuse to gather in a local church. It's like claiming you have a car when the fender's in Toledo and the engine's in Garland and the wheels are in Wisconsin and the seats are in Tucson. You don't have a car. You have a junkyard inventory. And it just won't function until the pieces are together and working together. Number two reason is I think just hanging out with others is church. A lot of people think, well, I think just, you know, if I just go out to, you know, if I, I went over to my friend's house, they're Christians Friday night, we played some board games and we talked a little bit about God. That's church. I feel like that was my Church. You know, the occasional dinner, a coffee with a friend, a small Bible study with a couple of people, a game night, you know, whatever. Matthew 18, 20 says, uh, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. A lot of people think, well, see, all I got to do is get me and another person in this church. I want you to understand the context. This verse has nothing to do with hanging out. If you read the whole passage, he says, man, when there are people who in my name get together to make an impact... I'm going to work in their presence. I'm going to show up in their presence. If you get together with other believers, like in your small groups, your church on Sunday, and you get together with the purpose of seeking the face of God, that's your purpose, not playing games or just having coffee or fellowship. Those, those are good times. But if you get together for the purpose of seeking his face, Jesus says, I'm going to show up. You're going to, you're going to know I'm there. And you're going to light a fire. When you show up at the person of lifting me up, I will show my presence. My presence will be known because ecclesia is powerful. Another excuse that we often give is I don't like organized religion. Some people think, man, the church went downhill as soon as it got organized. Well, you know what? That was the day it got started. The day, I mean, Jesus called the 12 and that was an organized group of people that he poured his life, his blood, his effort his emotions, his heart, his teaching. He gave his spirit first to those apostles, those disciples who became apostles. Jesus organized a rat-packed group of, like, reject people and, and built the ordinary folks that turned the world into an extraordinary place through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I have a question for you, so I don't like organized religion. Well, would you rather have unorganized religion? Would you rather have a disorganized religion? You know, there are a lot of groups and ministries out there that basically trash talk the church in general and say it's all just organized, it's all politics. Well, that's not the case. Sometimes it is, but it's not the case. God has called us to be organized, to have ministries and pastors. And, and there's a you see it through the whole, entire New Testament. Paul, one of the early apostles, would go from town to town to town preaching the gospel to places he'd never heard of Jesus before. And this message was so different than what they had ever heard before that many people accepted and a lot of people chased Paul out. They didn't just chase him out. They beat him to a pulp. In one case, they actually beat him so bad they thought he was dead. They dragged his body outside of the town and they left him there for the wolves and the vultures to eat. And the church that was there, the few disciples that became Christians went out, brought him back into town, and then that night they nursed him together and then the following day, they slipped him out of town. And you thought, man, gee, Paul's, ne-. it was good for Paul. He would be great if he never went back there again. Because town after town, he preached the gospel, risked his life for the gospel, and then had to move on. But this is what we forget. Look at this. In Acts 14, 21, then they, it's Paul and Barnabas, then they returned to Lystra, where he was chased out, Iconium, where he was chased out. And Antioch, the very place that he was beat to a pulp. I'm thinking, what? He went back to the cities where he was abused and beat up. Why in the world would anybody ever risk their life to go back? I understand you risk your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Great, man. People get saved. Now just kind of send them some letters, but stay out of there. But no. Why did he go back? Listen, he went back strengthening the disciples, that's the new Christians, and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships, he says, to enter the kingdom of God. Well, they said, well, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, that's organization, and with prayer and fasting, that's plans, he committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So Paul risked his life the first time for the gospel. He risked his life a second time for the church, for organized communities of faith with elders and pastors in place. In fact, the New Testament is written to specific local churches. Almost the entire New Testament is written to a local church. It's not written to some vague, invisible group of whoever's out there who calls himself a Christian. No, the book of Corinthians was written to a specific church in the city of Corinth. The book of Ephesians was written to a specific church in the city of Ephesus. The book of Galatians was written to a group of churches that were in an area called Galatia. And time and again, even the books like Timothy were written to a guy named Timothy who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. We have very specific letters written to very specific local churches. Think about this. If someone said, I can give my life to Christ, and not go to church, they would have never heard the word of God given to them through the apostles because they would have checked out of the local community. The only reason we have the church today is because people were committed to gathering together and hearing and following in the apostles' teaching and doctrine. This is this is something we need to grab a hold of. The church is not an individual thing. This is a community thing. Church is full of flawed people. Some think, well, I think... The church is corrupt. Well, some might think it's not ecclesia, it's just ek. Some are sadly, and even in the Bible, we see pictures of churches that struggled with problems, but we are still called to connect to this great thing that Jesus is building. Church is full of flawed people. And you know how I know? Because you're here. And I'm here. And there's no perfect church. And the good news about that is because, thank God, that means you're welcome here. That means that we can walk together in Christ. Ecclesia is for flawed and imperfect people. Here's the last excuse that people give, and that is, I don't think I should have to go to church. I, there, I just, you know, it's optional. Yeah, I believe the church is important and all this, blah, 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 you know, it's good. But, you know, it's optional. It's whenever I have time, it's whenever I can squeeze it in, it's whenever my work schedule allows, it's whenever it doesn't conflict with something that I'm doing, It's optional. Again, this is not having to do with those who are sick or on vacation or have these uh, uh, you know rare occasions where they're missing. Uh, Luke 4:16, Jesus said, he went to the synagogue every week, as was his practice. Different translations say, as was his custom. The first Christ, uh, Christians gathered every single week. Acts 27 says, "And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together, to, to break bread, that's communion, Paul preached to them. I want you to hear this, man. The early church knew the vital value of meeting together, not just like a couple times a month, but weekly. If it all, you know, it's something to protect. It's something to, to value enough that, you see it as something that is so important, not because, it, you're, not because it makes you a Christian or not, but it is a reflection of your light in the world and together we make an impact, but because Christ, at least, if you can grab onto the idea that Christ has called you to this body, to this people. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider, this is pastor's favorite verse on trying to get people back in church. Maybe you've heard this verse. And let us consider how we may spur or encourage one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There are some people, man, they they love church. They're joined a church. They're part of a church, but they've gotten out of the habit of going. They just go every now and then. It's not something that they're like, you know, fully engaging in every week. It's important, but you know, they've gotten out of the habit. He says, man, don't give up on meeting together as some have a habit of doing. He says, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. As you see, he says, man, there's there's tough times coming and they're going to get tougher and that much more do we need each other. Pastors use that verse to get people in church because it is a really good verse (laughs) that really tells you you need to not have a poor habit of this. Let let me illustrate it this way. we've got this box cover and I passed out some uh, some." Some pieces of the puzzle. Everybody hold up your piece to the puzzle. Everybody hold up your piece. I like puzzles not as much as my daughter Summer and Nicole. They love puzzles. We have, we have uh, puzzles at any given time underneath our furniture that uh, every few days they will pull out, and the two of them will put a puzzle together. And sometimes uh, the dog will find a piece of puzzle. You can put your arm down. Um, thank you. Uh, uh, the dog will find a piece of that puzzle, and I don't know if you've ever... Anybody here ever tasted cardboard? It's actually pretty tasty, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Uh, that's a whole other topic. But its it's got this little like, little salty kind of thing to it. So the dogs are like, Mm-mm-mm. so you find this soggy mess of a piece or chewed up piece, but they don't swallow it. They just chew on it and lick on it. Well, sometimes the dog will get a piece and, and they're like, the puzzle's almost done. And they're like, there's a piece missing. And they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And uh, all of a sudden, a manhunt ha- man uh, occurs, right? They're, man, they're opening up cushions and pulling out the chair and, and looking all over. And finally, we find this, this rotten, tore-up, chewed-on piece. But it's found. And closure, right? Closure. It's done. might take a picture of it because what a, what a beauty. And you look at the box and you're like, that's pretty good even though some of the pieces are bent, even though some of them are chewed on. But here's what's important is every piece is vital. And when people say, well, I don't, I don't think I need church. Well, you know what? Maybe there's weeks when you don't need church, but there's not ever a week where we don't need you. And when you're missing, it's a manhunt. Like I said, Nicole and I, we evaluate everybody in our church that we can think of who isn't here because when you're not here, a piece is, of our church is missing, piece of us is missing. You should feel the same way when you miss, because you're part of the picture, you're part of the plan. God's box has a picture that we are to reflect, and when you're missing, a piece that is vital is gone. First Corinthians 12 12 says, Just as, as a body, though one talking about the church, though we are one church, it has many parts. But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. He says, for we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. The church, whether Jews or Gentiles or slave or Greek, doesn't matter matter what your background is, how much money you make, or how you grew up, or what color you are. He says, man, we are one. He says, and we were all given the same one spirit to drink. That means to fill our life. Even so, the body is made up of one part. It's not made up of one part, but of many parts then it goes on to talk about some of you the eyes some of you the feet some of you the hands and that we some of you the toes and we all have a part in the body and he says if one part suffers every part suffers that means if you're missing you might be fine but we're not fine and you're going to find that if you keep thinking that you don't need church then you're going to so become so disconnected with the health of your life and you're going to have these the, the, the deception in your heart that maybe you don't need it He says, but when one part's missing, it suffers. When it hurts, we hurt. When one part is honored, we all rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Each one of you is a piece in this beautiful picture called the church. So I wanna give you a last couple of minutes. I wanna restore, give you a quick glimpse of restored Ecclesia. Here we go restoring ecclesia defining and rediscovering the joy of the church things that only happen when the pieces come together here's the first thing accountability that's this spiritual covering also known as spiritual authority you know that's why a lot of people like the large church because they don't ever have to talk to anybody they don't have, you know uh, shaking of a stranger's hand is no pressure to them Nobody's in their business and their marriage and their life or asking them questions about their personal life or their work. They like the big church. Sometimes they can, you know, slide in, sing some songs, high-five each other, get a little encouraging message and maybe a little conviction, but then they slide back out. And a lot of people like that. But the problem is that's not true ecclesia unless they are connected to a group of accountability because the main part of the church Is we are in this together. This is all about being together. We take this serious. First Peter five, one through four says, To the elders among you, that's the spiritual leaders of the church. I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He says, Be shepherds, talk about pastors, talking about me right now. He says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And I'm, you know, no pastor that's in it for the money will ever be a pastor that is honoring God because we're not in this for, for selfish gain. We're in this to serve. We're in this to, to eager, excitedly impart Christ into your life, not lording it over those who entrusted. Who are entrusted to you. That means I'm not going to like protect, don't park in my parking spot. I don't even have one. You know, the church is like, don't park here. Pastor's parking. Pastor's not parking. Pastor's daughter's parking. Pastor's son parking. You know, and then, then you got staff parking, da, da, da. You know, and then you're like, he, and then everybody else is like a hundred yards away. He says, man, you know, this is not about lording over you or having some sense of power over you or having, he says, but being examples to the flock. How can I be an example unless I let you into my life? because, Pastors can put on a pretty doggone good show up on the platform. They can say all the right words. They can get all snazzy and fancy and clean up their life and their language. But in private, they're a wreck. And how can I be an example unless I let you into my life? It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I'm going to be held accountable to to my pastor, Jesus. God designs the church as a place where spiritual leaders watch out for you a place where spiritual leaders like myself are in your life and you're in my life, where a shepherd can guard the sheep, where I can feed the sheep and care for you. Hebrews 13:17 says, have confidence in your leaders. This is for you. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who give an account. Do this so that their work may be a joy, not a burden, But that would be no benefit to you. He says, you know what? A big reason that a lot of people don't want to connect to a church is they just don't want a pastor, a minister, a friend, or anybody telling them anything about their life that needs to be corrected or changed or encouraged. When the pieces are together, there is accountability. A Christian who answers only to himself can easily rationalize sinful attitudes, actions, or false teaching. I see this all the time people who take these so-called sabbaticals from church and they're gone for so long, they all of a sudden starting embracing all kinds of weird teaching and theology and they start drifting from the faith. And it's like, I don't even know who you are anymore because there's no spiritual leader uh, over them to help them. Just like every earthly family is not always fun, we don't always have warm and fuzzy experiences. Sometimes there's family confrontations that will help us to grow. Here's another thing that only happens when the pieces come together and that is family. Family. The sense that this is real life. We are in this together, showing up at games, sitting in the stands, being present, says, I believe in you. We're in this together. I'm connected. I'm committed. You know, sliding in and sliding out of church is not family. You know this. If you have a dad that's never there, he might be your dad, but that's not family. If you have kids that are never home, you might love them, but you don't feel like a family. We need to be together together a dad that's never around, a child who hates being at home, a wife who's always at work. There's three reasons. Either it's neglect, it's either lazy, or it's purposeful avoidance. And whatever the reason is, when we are together is when family happens. That's why our small groups are so vital to your life. 59 times in the Bible it says we are to one another each other. Some of those are We are to love one another, comfort one another, build up one another, confess our sins to one another, pray for one another, accept one another, teach one another, be compassionate to one another, submit to one another, serve one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, and many more. Every one of these are in the context of a Christian with another Christian, a Christian that's in relationship with another Christian, a Christian that is regularly committed to the life of another Christian. All of the one another's in the Bible are geared towards the body of Christ living life as family together. And it only happens when the pieces come together. You might say that you're not important, but you're more important than you think. Some of the mutual ministry that happens in church when we come together as family is, number one, serving. And number two is spiritual gifts. And number three is encouragement. These are three big areas that happen when the church gets together. Serving is so vital, man, it's the power to serve. It's the power of the serve, how we need each other. You know, there's a, re, you know, some of you in here, who has children? Raise your hands if you have children. Now, okay, you can put your hands down. I want you to realize this. You know, the only reason you're in here, the only reason you can be in here without your kids is because we have people over there serving right now. That's, the, you know, can, who can hear me? If you can hear me, raise your hand. Thank you. Can you hear me? And soon the whole world will hear you. Um, here's the thing. The only way, the only reason you can hear me is because there's a group of people that get here at 7.30 in the mornings on Sunday to set up this sound system. Anybody can see me? Who can see me? Anybody can see me? You see me? The only reason you can see me in this room because we got lights here? Because people came early to set them up. Everything that happens in our church that you rely upon is the church being family and serving one another. And right now we need some people in Kidventure. We need some people with the pit crew in the morning. You know, uh, any you see our signs coming in? Uh, well, not in the auditorium, but outside. Anybody see our signs outside? I didn't because we don't have any out there other than the, the sidewalk. And we need somebody to say, you know what, I'll take the signs and I'll put them out for us on Fridays and pick them up on Sundays. We need somebody, just small things like that, to help us to be the body, to serve, family, serving family, ministering to one another. It's called kingdom work. The Bible says we have each spiritual gifts. God gives us gifts, not to uh, talents and abilities, not to get wealthy and rich, but to serve one another. God commands us to use our spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. Talking about the church. Talking about ecclesia and encouragement. When you need it, when I need it, when we get together, your smile changes my life. Your story encourages me. Your life brings hope to others, help and support. When we hear someone's in need, that's what family does. When someone is sick in your family, that's what family does. We show up, we're there, we help. We're friendship, we're laughter, we're, we're the sense of, of continuing in life with this sense of hope. You are unique to the puzzle. Twelve Romans 12, 5 says that as believers, we belong to one another. Here's another thing that only happens when the pieces come together. By the way, the local church is God's greenhouse to mature us and grow us. That's another topic. By the way, if you've ever been profoundly encouraged by the church, by this church, if you've ever been profoundly encouraged by this church, I wanted you to do something. And I just want you to stand up. You say, you know what, this church has meant something some very special things to me. It's very, it's been encouraging to me, and it's touched me profoundly. Okay, if it hasn't, just stay seated. Um, I want you to realize this, guys. Look, I want you to look around the room. You know why this happens? Because we are involved in each other's lives. This is people who are affected because somebody showed up in KidVenture, because somebody showed up in the Pick crew, because somebody showed up at Life Team when they needed prayer, because there was a Life Team, that the leaders that were ready to minister to them, because there was a friend that answered the phone that they met at church, because there was a Christian that helped them through a tough time in their life. This is the body at work. This is family. Go ahead and have a seat for a minute. A couple of last things that only happens when the church, when the pieces come together, is provision. The only, the only reason that we are able to meet here is because we have people committed to giving. You know, when you are here and you faithfully give, we're able to come together again. We're able to keep growing. Your giving says I'm on board with where you're going. I'm here to. Your giving says I'm here to stay. Your giving says I trust God's word concerning. My money. In reality, you give to what you believe in. And when people leave, they usually leave their wallet. They, uh, they Their wallet leaves first. Let me put it that way. So if you believe in this church as a family, when the pieces come together, we provide for each other. Here's another thing, momentum. Your body actually builds excitement. I, I don't know how many times the bands, like, you know, in our early days when we were like, you know, struggling in our, you know, years ago, the only people in the crowd was the spouses of the few people that were married. So they look out and were, <laughs> their eyes were closed and they were like, we're there in heaven because that's where the crowd is, right? <laughs> They're closing their eyes. They see the multitude. Yeah, we're together. They open their eyes and it's like, oh Lord. What? you know." It's like there's a, and, but you know, when, when we come together, Man, if you've ever been to an event and it's like a packed house, before it even starts, there's like energy. You know what I mean? There's excitement, man. Something's going on here. And you know, just your presence brings an energy of excitement and the spirit of the Lord to this place. Because as Christians, when we gather together in the, the name of God, well, man, when we with one voice proclaim worship and declare, man, there's, man God's presence begins to almost physically be manifested. We can, we can feel it. It's powerful. Your body actually brings momentum. The environment is more exciting when you're here. And when you're gone, the excitement is in Jesus, but still the, the room excitement is kind of like, yeah, I hope people show up. Sometimes I'm pressing into worship and I'm looking back going, Jesus, help our people to get here on time. And then I'm holding out for that third song because that's when people start showing up, Right. And I'll go out in the lobby and I'll say, hey, man, everybody, Jesus is inside. <laughs> if you want to be in there, that's where he is. Um, obviously, he's everywhere. But there's a, because there's a sense of, of energy when we are together. Ecclesia refuels. It's the power of the community, of us together. After being in a culture that fights against our spirit, at work, at school, stresses at home, together, we realize, man, we're not alone. And we serve a great God. We're in this together. I can do this. Here's the last thing, is that church, when we get together, there's there's impact. There's true world-changing impact. You can make a difference alone, but we can blow it out of the park and make an impact together. The church is the vehicle Christ chose to spread his message and hope. 1 Timothy 3.14 says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you, these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church, the ecclesia of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The church is the pillar of the truth in this world. The local church is the only ministry commissioned by Jesus that will last Every outreach ministry, every parachurch ministry that exists on the planet today will come a time when it will not be needed as Christ returns. But the church and that organization, the only one commissioned by Christ himself, will be one that is eternal, that is still spoken of forever. All these other institutions are to flow out of the only lasting institution. The church. I want you to watch this one video about the impact of the church, and we come back. I want us to close in prayer. Is it a building? with some pews, a piano, and stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of health care in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disease The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome, 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 welcome to church. The ecclesia was God's plan all along. There is no substitute. Ephesians 3.10, last verse, it says this, His, God's, intent was that now, through the church, if you have your Bible, circle that, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That through the church, God's the greatest force on the planet is the church. We are brought into relationship with God to participate in the mission of the gospel. And the local church is the one who's been entrusted with the gospel through the church that the world might know him. Chosen to give and extend the kingdom on the earth. So your puzzle piece, it's vital. You are important. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep that puzzle piece. Maybe put it in your wallet. Put it in your billfold in your purse. Put it on your dresser. And I want you every every Saturday night when you're thinking about sleeping in, every Sunday morning when you're just too tired or when you're thinking through your work schedule or when you're thinking through your plans with school, I want you to see that puzzle piece and I want you to realize you are extremely important and vital to the greatest force on the planet for change, the church. So here's my challenge. Stop dating church. Stop floating and get connected. Because when you date church, you cheat yourself, you cheat a local gathering, and you cheat the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have called us to be part of something dynamic and great and beautiful and something filled with joy. God, church was not meant to be a burden or an obligation or something filled with pressure. It was not meant to be an attendance card or a gold star or check on a list on a weekly list of things to do. God, the church is vital to the impact of the world. And then on Sundays when we gather, we encourage each other. We lift up each other, Jesus. And God, we are trained and equipped so that on Monday when the church hits the beach, God, when, I, when we unload out of those vehicles and drop out of the out of the planes and the helicopters, God, when our feet land in that school campus or in that place of work or in our neighborhood or in our homes, God, that when we walk out, we are fully equipped because the church is together in prayer together, encouraging one another, praying for one another. And when we need to, we cry together. And the fight goes on because what you have built, hell can't stop. God, help us love this bride. God, help us to honor that bride and to protect that bride. For we are that bride. God, I pray. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Churches, followers of Christ who purposely and regularly meet to grow together in Christ, to extend Christ together.